Now then, welcome to the Reading Room Podcast. Johnny and I have come straight over from the live programme. Uh, good morning, Johnny. Hello there. Johnny, the uh, producer on uh, on the Reading Room. And uh, now that was our first programme. What do you reckon, Johnny? How did it go? I think that went exceedingly well, actually, yeah. yeah I, surprisingly I, well. Yeah, I do. I, <laughs> I, I think so too. You know, uh, it, a couple of things, a couple of times when I was reading things out, I stumbled on some words. But apart from that, you know, uh, I think for a first programme, I'm, I'm very, very pleased. And uh, certainly I've never felt more alive. My heart was pumping quite a lot there. What about yours? Yeah, oh, definitely. Given that we had no idea what we were doing, really, especially exactly. technical-wise. Yeah, yeah, yeah they, they went really well. <laughs> Can you believe they let us <laughs> loose in the studio? And we also had the news feed as well. The news feed didn't, uh, didn't, didn't, didn't help. Come. No, no, no. no we were both, we, I think the thing I was most worried about was getting the news spot on and making it sound professional yeah yeah and then uh, and then of course uh, we didn't have the irn news feed coming through so that sort of uh, that set us going and also made us uh, to forget to record the program so uh, liam our technical uh, supervisor we will be phoning you up <laughs> anyway what you're about to hear uh, are the edited highlights we can't put any music in for rights reasons obviously uh, but we do have uh, and what we will be bringing you on the reading room are some superb guests interviews uh, reviews and of course readings The Reading Room on Siren 107.3 FM. And now it's time to turn to a bit of poetry. This month we feature a poet from, uh, called Jim Gotts, who is from the East Lindsay Writers' Triangle, which just so happens to be the same writers' group that I attend. And here's one of his poems, Culture Schlock, read by Graham King. Most writers, some famous I've heard, can't resist an eight-syllable word. Their complex declension defies comprehension, but most will remain undeterred. Observing this characteristic regard for the polylinguistic, one cannot agree with their craving to be so sesquipedalianistic. We readers have come to detest this tiresome, grandiloquent quest. Such wide distribution of circumlocution deserves to be given a rest. Culture Schlock by Jim Gotts, and our thanks to uh, Siren FM's own Graham King for the reading, and especially delivering that word. Sesquitalianistic. You can catch Graham and the arts team here on Siren 107.3 FM on Tuesdays and Thursdays between 11 and 1 o'clock, as they bring you the latest arts news, reviews, interviews in and around Lincoln. You're listening to The Reading Room on Siren 107.3 FM. Now then, we have... An interview with two members of the Lincoln Phoenix Writers' Circle, uh, and I spoke to them about their group and their 10th anniversary anthology, Phoenix Rising. You'll hear from the group's secretary, John Stead, but first I asked Keith Blakesley for some more background to the group. The Lincoln Phoenix Writers' Circle, we've we've been around about, uh, well, over 10 years now. We joined and got together in 1997, and we meet fortnightly. A group of us get together and uh, share readings of our material and also you carry out uh, you carry out workshops there as well don't you on a, on a, a regular basis what kind of workshops do you uh, do you have um workshops we can have um external workshops uh, where we've had people in uh, other writers uh producers uh agents and that type of thing or we've done internal workshops where we've uh, basically just come up with a theme of something and uh, uh on the spot writing competitions you know around the table within you know 30 35 minute time frame and see you know see what we can come out with at the end of that with uh, you know with a limited amount of information character background or something like that everybody that does a, an, in, an internal workshop has their own specialities their own methods so it makes for a quite wide and varied variety of uh, topics that we can cover yeah, and certainly, I suppose sharing those methods, uh, you know, are going to give you different styles and different approaches. Perhaps when the dreaded writer's block comes in. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, one of the main benefits of working in a group uh, such as ours is the variety of work that is presented. Uh, certainly, at a workshop. It's amazing the uh, diversity of. Uh, work that's produced just on one simple idea. I think that's present. Uh, certainly, I've been reading through your 10-year anniversary anthology, Phoenix Rising. Um, and what strikes me, especially through the short stories, would be um, how they seem like a, a puzzle. Uh, I, I don't know if, you, if either of you two feel that way. When you're reading through a short story and you know there's got to be a, a beginning, a middle and an end in there, and you're perhaps coming through maybe someone's life or something, you're not getting as much background as the novel uh, or, or, the, or the longer version of a story. However, it does seem that after the, maybe the first page you're trying to solve a puzzle in your head, and that, that must be the same way writing it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I always start my short stories not with one idea but with two. So you generally try to read the writer up one little garden path with one idea and then at the end just leaving little 
traces as you go up the path, um, just hinting at that might be something else, and totally reverting it at the end. The sting in the tail, that's, that's why I write short stories. OK. Right, so let's talk uh, a little bit about this and previous uh, anthologies. I believe you've had some uh, award success uh, in the past with your previous anthologies. Yes, uh, in 1997, the year, uh, the year we started, we entered uh, uh, an anthology called Burnt Offerings um, into the NORG competition, NORG being the National Association of Writers Groups, and that was a runner-up uh, in 1998. Um, then we got a, another one and issued that, and that got a highly commended in 2002. Um, we've done one or two anthologies since then uh, but Phoenix Rising is is the one that's probably the most um, recent work that we've had albeit taking a number of years to put together. Originally the, the anthology was for our 10 year anniversary and time trickled by and uh, we um, looked into printing costs of pr printing that and then we realised we got the f fantastic um, tool of the website uh, which is www.linkofphoenixwriterscircle.org.uk uh, and we thought we might as well put it on there as a, as a, a launch pad to get more people in, involved in looking at the website and also hopefully coming down to the meetings. Uh, yeah and certainly I, I can uh, recommend uh, the uh, the Lincoln Phoenix Writer Circle website it's, it's an absolutely uh, superb uh, resource for, for links and, uh, and can take you off into a literary wonderland uh, really all over the internet and it's a very good foundation a good starting point. Who compiles the anthology? Whose who's difficult task is it? Uh, yeah, the Phoenix Rising anthology was uh, compiled by myself and Jenny Wilde, another member. Um, we began collecting work and material from the membership probably about a year, nine, nine months to a year before our proposed release date of 19, uh, 2007. And we got all the material together, all of the uh, entries in from the different uh, membership, and the, and the theme that we used was anniversary in, in some form, some loose form. So that, that's the running theme through this, through this set of stories, uh, poetry, and articles that you know, comprise the anthology itself. The current chairwoman did a lot of work in putting the material together in, and, and laying it on the page ready in theory to go to the printers because obviously they've got a, a certain way that their pages are laid out yeah. and they want it presenting to them so she did a lot of work to do that um, and uh, as John said you know, time, time seemed to catch up with us, other people came on and new members came on and wanted to take part and you know, put something in as well so we um, finally managed to get the, get the thing released to the website in October 2009. The yeah. great thing about the how it's presented on the website is in two different formats. One is a word format you can uh, download and read uh, printing off. Another format is how it appears or how it would have appeared if it was uh, printed out. So another one of our members is an artist and a lot of the stories, in fact all the stories, are illustrated. Yeah. Do you find uh, the, the writers' group, uh, the, the support of the writers' group as well? You know, if you're unsure about something, you know, can you uh, steer people in the right direction? I think so. Yeah, we we never tend to be overly critical of each other. That's yeah, certainly that's right. a positive. Um, always constructive criticism, um, and I think generally uh, when we do, we do have heated discussions. Yes. Occasionally. Yeah. Um, and it can be di a bit disconcerting for new members to come in and to read the material out in front of you know these strange people but uh, not that I'm saying writers are strange people <laughs> but, um, but uh, we, we over the, uh, the years we've tried to make use of technology um, so uh, as well as uh, the other members listening to the author reading out their piece we've tried to make use of uh, overhead projectors or you know uh, presentation uh, equipment within the room so that we can actually see what they've written as well. So we, we generally get a good deal of feedback from the different membership and you know, a good bit of criticism, say some of it heated, some of it good-hearted and, you know, we have a good laugh and that, you know, nice experience and hopefully uh, beneficial to everybody that takes part. The Reading Room on Siren 107.3 FM. Now we have a reading from the 10th anniversary anthology, Phoenix Rising. Renewal costs is read by the author, John G. Stead. The house on Newtonville Way looked a common one. The privet hedge was neatly clipped, the lawn mowed and rolled into stripes, the paintwork on the door blemish-free. Small details, but two features made the house unique. The man who lived behind the front door, and the middle-aged lady with a dog, kneeling down to the letterbox trying to light a match. 
What had brought Mary Abington to this ordinary street and unusual position was her annual phone call to her insurance company. While she had certainly been ready for a shock when renewing Reggie's pet insurance, it was not the cost of the premium that had put her so in fear of losing her own life that she was about to take another's. You are Mr M Abington, yes? That was what the man on the other side of the world had asked, and she had felt her stomach knot just at the enunciation of the name, even from that greater distance. Reggie, a border collie, was lying across her feet on the sofa, and he too pricked up his ears and snorted. You are Mr M Abington, yes? I'm Mrs Mary Abington, she replied. Oh, I'm sorry, the policy is the name of your husband? I'm not married. You do not live at 37 Newtonville Way? No, you must have the wrong number. Mary raised her voice and repeated her reference number. Oh yes, the voice said. This is the policy I have here, in the name of Mr M Abington. It was renewed last week. That can't be. That's my policy. Noticing the pitch of her voice, Reggie sat up, looking around the room alert to any danger, in a manner that should have made her smile. Mary swung around to place her feet on the floor, needing solidity beneath her. But a draught caressed her bare ankles, starting a shiver that sliced between her shoulder blades and threatened to shake off the hairs on the back of her neck. She demanded an opportunity to try to communicate with the supervisor. Waiting, she reassured herself that it was just a little administration error and that there was no cause for concern. Then she caught herself biting her nails and wondering if she had locked the front door. It was not the problem with the insurance that worried her, more what the man had told her. I have looked at your policy, Mrs Abington, said the supervisor, and there appears to be an error. A Mr M Abington renewed his policy with us last week, and because of similarities of personal details, your policy was included in the renewal. I have reverted the policy to yourself. Please accept our apologies for this confusion. Thank you, but it's not necessarily the policy I'm worried about. There's something else I need to know. Yes? Did this other M Abington, did they, did you give him my address? That would never happen, Mrs Abington. It is against the legislation to do so. Mary gave her thanks, but she wondered how they expected her to believe them when they had given the address of Mr Michael Abington to her. Following her separation from Michael, Mary had tried to live on alone in their house. She had somehow put up with the annoying phone calls and the dog muck pushed through the letterbox. Then one night, it had been the neck of a petrol can pushed through her front door, followed by a lighted match. Only Reggie's alertness had saved them both. She had escaped with minor burns, but these had not been solved by the police washing their hands of the matter. Fire doesn't leave much evidence, they'd said, seemingly oblivious to the wreckage of her life. Luckily, there had been no problem with the home insurance, and the insurance payout had allowed her to relocate to set up a new place to clean her wounds. At first, she had feared the knock on the door, the ring of the telephone, but the longer the silence lasted, the more she had found her own voice and listened to it. She found a job she loved, bought a car and a house. She began to look after herself, to have her hair tinted and nails polished whenever she felt like it. She had evenings out with new friends, some of them men. She found she liked to be appreciated by other men without the fear of reprisals. She no longer thought twice when answering the door or the phone. For the first time in her life she was feeling ready for anything and everything except to be a victim again. It was this that chilled her. If her ex-husband knew her dress, there was no knowing what he would do. Mary did not go to bed that night, didn't even bother to get undressed. She had to get out of the house and take Reggie with her. A long drive and a good walk would do them both good. Her drive had taken her to her old town, and Reggie's walk to the front door of 37 Newtonville Way. She lit the match and heard the woof of flame as it fell upon the petrol she'd poured through the letterbox. Driving home, she imagined Michael burning, his skin peeling off like autumn leaves. She was sorry she'd not stayed around to hear his screams, sorry she had no way of knowing he was dead. The image changed, the leaves stopped falling and began to reform into a familiar figure, a raging phoenix bent on revenge. What if Michael hadn't been at home? She hurried inside her home from the car, called Reggie's lead on its hook in the hallway and double-checked the doors, locks and windows just to be sure that no one had entered while they'd been out. She took a knife from the kitchen and chose to sit on the hard chair in the hallway. From there, she neither moved nor slept. 
Reggie had lain down in his basket, but he wasn't sleeping either. He'd been edgy on their return home, preferring the back seat rather than be beside her. She had heard that dogs can sense fear. Reggie could probably smell it on her. He would remember the smell as well as she. Michael had often turned on the dog, knowing that hurting Reggie punished Mary more than any physical blow he could fell on her. Don't worry, Reggie. He won't hurt you tonight. The night was a long one. She kept on the lights to warn whoever was outside that she was ready, but still each noise resembled a footstep, a knock, or the creak of the letterbox. By dawn she was feeling grubby and tired, and failing desperately to keep her eyes from closing. Suddenly the phone was ringing, Reggie barking, flickering light, and something clattered beside her like the slapping shut of a letterbox. For a long moment she looked about her, ready yet unprepared for what was happening, but nothing was except the insistent ringing of the phone and Reggie's replies. She saw the knife on the floor where her sleeping hand dropped it, and what brightness there was in the room came not from flames, but from outside. She was familiar enough with her home to tell it was early afternoon. She had been asleep for hours. Her hand ate as she reached to answer the phone, ready to hear the worst news she could imagine. Mrs Abington, it was not her husband to say he was coming for her, it was the insurance company. I've listened to the tape. I am able to tell you that we have not given out your address, said the supervisor. Everything stopped for a second, as if the delay on the telephone line was somehow coming after she heard the words. Thank you, she said, as if to thank him for the reassurance, when really she was thanking him for the opportunity. Michael could no longer hurt her. Reggie would never again smell the fear upon her, and she could continue the life she had just begun to live. Yes, continued the voice, from so far away she had almost forgotten he was there. Yes, we would be sorry to lose your business over a little misunderstanding. Mr Marcus Abington has never owned a dog. Marcus Abington? Yes, never owned a dog in all his 83 years. He told me yesterday. So we will hear from you next year, no? Mary, Mary Abington didn't answer. She had stood on her own and was no longer the victim, but knowing that did not return her to confidence. Still, she feared the reaching out of a long arm, the knock on the front door, or the long protesting creak of the letterbox. You're listening to The Reading Room on Siren 107.3 FM. Now it's time for our book review panel, our first premiere book review panel. Each Shoots and Leaves is the panel review. Here on The Reading Room, we aim not to give away the endings of books, as we sort of know that behaviour deserves maximum legal punishment allowed. But I think it's fair to say the book we're reviewing on the panel today ends with a full stop. Having sold over 3 million copies worldwide, the zero-tolerance approach to punctuation, Each Shoots and Leaves by Lynn Truss. Now, joining me in the studio to discuss this antidote for what the author calls sticklers are Alex Lefchuk, Senior Lecturer in Media here at Lincoln University, and he's also the Managing Editor of Siren FM's sister station, Southside Broadcasting in Middlesbrough. But most importantly, Alex is the host of Midweek Drive here on Siren FM. Good morning to you, Alex. Good morning, Paul, and it's a delight and a due honour to actually be sitting in on your debut show here on Sunday morning. Wonderful. Thank you very much. And also this morning, I'm very pleased to say we have Melanie Carroll, who runs Unicorn Tree Books and Crafts in Lincoln Central Market and a regular contributor to Out and Proud which again you can hear on this very station Morning Melanie. Morning Paul thanks for having me. No problem, no problem Now I'd like to talk a bit about the subject first uh, of punctuation uh, and then we'll, we'll perhaps have a look at the cover and see what's inside of it uh, Now I was amazed to find uh, when I opened the book a punctuation repair kit um, inside the, the library copy I had and no one had used any of the punctuation. Uh, now, th this book's been around, certainly been uh, shooting around libraries since 2006, and no one's dared to bring out an apostrophe. Basically, there's, a, there's some stickers inside the book which you can repair signs or, or bad punctuations. Now, Melanie, would you describe yourself as a stickler? I'm a semi-stickler. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say I'm a complete and utter OCD stickler, as Lynn Truss seems to come across Yeah. As. But, um, yeah, I must admit, there are times when I have looked at signs and thought... No, and had to mention it upon occasion. Oh, so you've actually had that conversation with people? Yeah, normally with my minions in the bookshop. <laughs> that does not belong there. <laughs> exactly. Now, Alex, uh, have you ever defaced a public sign with uh, with an apostrophe? 
know, I think uh, it's uh, obviously up to the individual and their conscience to decide whether or not they can leave a sign intact or not. Uh, I do think it's a wonderful uh, gimmick, though, but it does show what a wonderfully uh, honest and uh, truly law-abiding uh, collection of citizens uh, exist in Lincolnshire because there are other parts of the country where I'm sure the whole book would have been defaced. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. We'll, we'll, we will not mention any counties here this morning. Quite right, too. Uh, now, if I'll read the blurb from the, from, from the back, and this, this will hopefully give anyone who's not come across the book a bit of an idea as to where each shoots and leaves is coming from. A panda walks into a cafe. He orders a sandwich, eats it, then draws a gun and fires two shots into the air. Why? asks the confused waiter, as the panda makes towards the exit. The panda produces a badly punctuated wildlife manual and tosses it over his shoulder. I'm a panda, he says at the door. Look it up. The waiter turns to the relevant entry and, sure enough, finds the explanation. Panda, large, black-and-white bear-like animal, native to China, eats, shoots and leaves. So punctuation really does matter, even if it is only an occasional matter of life and death. So, Alex, what did you think of the book? I liked it. Uh, yeah, I've heard a great deal about it. I hadn't actually got around to reading it until, uh, obviously, duty for this particular show brought me to uh, to read through the whole text. I'd read sort of extracts from it beforehand, but clearly, in the business of education, which I have been for the last quarter of a century, yeah. in one way, shape or form, uh, one has to do an awful lot of marking of student essays, and I would actually uh, recommend highly that uh, students should actually have a read through this. It may sound, I mean, earlier talking about uh, OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder when it comes to uh, sorting out question marks and uh, apostrophes and commas and so on but a point that Lynn actually makes which I think is just so spot on is that if you are actually a musician and I would trust you actually have some uh, empathy with this Paul, um, clearly if you're reading music you expect certain notes to be in certain positions, treble clef bass clef, the various notations that actually occur within that in the same way as if you're programming a computer, if you have garbage in you get garbage out and in the same way the grammatical rules of putting in apostrophes putting in commas indicating what they're for right the way back to aristophanes of byzantium and the early uh, writers in uh, renaissance europe and so on we need to have some sort of notion where there's a common ground all interest is arguing for in what is yes a very welcome and relatively easy read i mean it's 200 odd pages uh, that you can literally skim through over a couple of evenings and uh, she's arguing for this notion of respect politeness she's almost arguing for good manners really but manners applied to the written word I see. Melanie, do you agree? I do. I mean, Lynn Truss herself says a part in there that that is exactly what she's she's on about. Punctuation is a matter of manners. Um, And I would echo, it is is a stunningly fantastic book for anyone to read. Because it's so much better. I mean, as she said, in, in much of the early education, I went through 70s education, and there wasn't a great deal done on grammar and punctuation, and it got worse as the years went on, from what I can gather. So... There's this whole ethos missing. But had it been fun like this book is... I mean, this book... Oh, it's a blend of the best kind of satire with this overwhelming comedy aspect. It's almost stand-up. Yeah, yeah, there were certain points. I was, I was reading it in the, uh, in, in the canteen at work, and people were looking at me, as they do when I laugh when reading a book, and they say, what are you reading? Oh, it's a book about punctuation, and you're laughing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, actually, it was. It was um, the subject matter, certainly for me, uh, isn't a draw. Uh, in the introduction, it says, if you're not a stickler, put this book down. Had I not been reviewing it for uh, for our premiere on the radio this morning, I might have just done that. However, I carried on reading it, and it was a thoroughly entertaining read, I believe. It is. It's really funny. And it's it's the whole history of it. Actually, it makes punctuation make sense. And if school had made punctuation make sense, by giving you a little bit of the background, like the fact that it arose from acting, from, from storytelling, from knowing when to have to pause, and that it's been changed and corrupted and misused and wielded into what we want it to be, to the extent now where we almost just are trying to throw it back out with the bathwater, with um, emails and texts and Text things like speak, that. Yeah, yeah it, it's just, it's a fantastic read and just shines a light on punctuation that you just don't think is there. And if you're not a stickler, 
you should read it just because it is funny and you might well find yourself becoming a stickler towards the end of it. Yeah, yeah. So I went through a, a similar period of education as to yourself and I found myself learning a heck of a lot through <laughs> through this book. Uh, and it, it's certainly worth a read. Now, I mean, picking up, we've got quite a positive uh, spin on this because uh, we have a, a five-year-old who's uh, learning to read at the moment and she's doing fantastically. And the notes for parents uh, in the back of her book are talking about reading with expression mm-hmm. and talking about using the punctuation, the question marks and the commas and things like that at the age of five, uh, which is very, very encouraging, Alex. Well, certainly this whole question that she raises about acting that we mentioned there and the uh, four uses of hello, the kind of hello... Hello, hello, hello. You know, the kind of exclamation marks there, the question marks, the things that come through in terms of intonation. The business that we're in, Paul, obviously, in terms of radio communication, we need to look at scripts. We need to look at how to utilise the voice, how to make it effective. I often, with students, actually talk about ways in which you can scan your text, ways in which you can underline, bring out those words. If you're used to using things like apostrophes, exclamation marks, and, of course, the uh, the notions of pauses, or, as I like to say, dog's feet, little pausies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> from, from that perspective, you, you get a sense of how you can bring the script to life. In other words, you can lift the material off the page and give it some colour. And going back to what we said about the stand-up routine, yes, the art of humour is timing. It's a case of working through that. It's getting those points across. This is a way of actually showing how, used appropriately, you have an ease for the reader. The reader can actually get the joke without sort of thinking, ooh, is it great to see you in a kind of sex-speak way? Or what do we actually mean by that? And so on. And from the serious point of view, yes, the notion that historically there have been issues where, from a legalistic perspective, an awful lot of uh, huge issues have been settled on the basis of the appropriate use of a comma or not. Two other members of the uh, the review panel uh, here have been in uh, in contact, email contact with us. And if you'd like to uh, grab... Could hold they not of- write? <laughs> <laughs> have to text it down, surely. Uh, no, no, this is this is through the email at readingroom at sirenonline.co.uk. Uh, and if you wanted to, to be uh, part of the reading panel, uh, even come into the studio and talk to us live here about the books we're reading, uh, we can sort out copies for you through the Lincolnshire Library Service. Uh, now, Cathy from Lincoln did just that. Uh, and she says... If you want a holiday read, I would not recommend this as your first choice of read. I'd recommend reading this book if you want a guide to the history and importance of punctuation. The author shows her dry wit to perfection when describing the wrongs and rights of grammar and makes and what I, what I often think is a subject made uninteresting by teachers much more palatable. I did think at times she was a bit obsessive when it came to some punctuation, but her self-depreciating wit made this more than acceptable. This read made me think about my own grammar, which has suffered through laziness and modern technology, but this reflective thinking... Oh, pardon me. But this reflective thinking... Uh, w- will this reflective thinking last once the book is a dark memory? I'm not so sure. So do you, do you think it'll stick with you? I, th- I think so. There are definitely bits of it that will stick with me, you know. I mean, I, I now know that hyphens are on their way out and we should be standing up for them more. Um, I think that's definitely going to stick with me. Um, the idea... I. Uh, the the concept of the Oxford comma, that's yeah. never going to fade out of my mind. Now, every time I see a comma before the word and... And that's an Oxford comma. And that's an Oxford comma. I'm immediately going to know that. And I didn't know that's what that was called before. No, I, I didn't. I was always taught at school never to put a comma before an and, and now uh, yeah. there's a, a specialised Oxford comma. <laughs> yeah. What I'll do is I'll read out another uh, email we've had from one of our regular review uh, panel members. I know she's going to be... Uh, Hillary will be popping in uh, to the show later on in the year. Uh, regarding each shoots and leaves, I quite enjoyed reading it and given and even learned some new things, particularly the Oxford comma we spoke about earlier and the splice comma. The history of punctuation was very interesting and Truss frequently uses some very elegant phrases to explain the function of punctuation. Punctuation holds the fabric of the language in shape, she says. I was impressed with the amount of research she had done and the length of the bibliography. There are a lot of reference books out there. I do agree that careless use of punctuation is irritating, but I also agree, on occasion, with her characterisation of herself as an unattractive, know-all obsessive. But she does admit that language is evolving, and we must accept that this is inevitable. I found myself skipping through some of the rather more uh, didactic stuff, 
where she does rather lose her humour and become a bit tiresome. Ultimately, I suspect the book will not be read by those ignorant and illiterate people, she uses inverted commas there, <laughs> who need enlightenment that she so frequently rails against. Rather, it will be read by people who already know the rules and find it amusing and can be rather smug about their superiority. Um, Alex, would you agree with that? I just like the phrase, this book would not be read by an illiterate person. Well, of course it wouldn't. <laughs> it's self-evident. Yeah. It just wouldn't even start. I mean, for goodness sakes. Um, Lynn is clearly an academic. She comes from my, in fact, my old alma mater at the University of London, and uh, there are elements that come across within that. I thought the bibliography was okay. It wasn't particularly ex extensive or ex expansive. But there were lots of lovely lines that addressed uh, the whole notion of language as a living, organic, breathing thing. love the way of uh, her uh, characterization of the uh, semicolon and the colon as being rather like police officers uh, gathering all these commas together and looking after them and explaining when a, a semicolon is appropriate and when a colon is appropriate appropriate and equally her line that she takes from Chekhov about the uh, chap who ends up uh, hallucinating about exclamation marks uh, wonderful stuff from that really I think the fundamental aspect of the book is to raise the issue as we said at the beginning of the importance of having a standard that we conform to. Admittedly, there are other cultural areas that she does touch upon, which are really the subject of a whole series of books with respect to, obviously, things like hieroglyphics uh, and the whole notion of different languages, different cultural languages, the upside-down exclamation mark and so on. I think one of my other uh, little gems from the book was uh, when she was actually alluding to the evolution of language and the change to computerization and so on. And uh, there's a little reference where she says it's rather as though people uh, one day came upon the uh, people who were doing the hieroglyphics for ancient Egypt and said what, putting bird signs and various other bits and pieces up there in those sort of shapes oh, how passe mate, you're having a laugh etc. <laughs> um, so there, there are lots of little lines of that and as I said, uh, although initially you tend to think, am I really interested in a book about punctuation um, when you actually give it a chance, have a read through it, uh, it literally flows very simply and I think uh, she does actually practice what she preaches and has produced a very, very readable text. Exactly, although I did notice on the third page of the introduction there was a typo. I can just imagine her being furious with the publisher about that. It's a that. nod in the direction of probably grognard readers perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> now, Melanie, you read this on an e-book. I did, I uh, did. And uh, as, you, as you sit there reading an e-book, what's, uh, what's the general reaction of, uh, of your customers? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm frowned upon within my trade because I, I am a bookseller that is an e-book reader, um, especially in this day and age when e-book readers have, have come to fruition, shall we say, are beginning to become more and more apparent. Um, my, my argument being, actually, e-books are a really handy form. It's on my phone and it goes everywhere with me. It's slightly smaller than the standard paperback these days, although I can keep reading a paperback when my battery runs out. Um, but one of the things, I, the, the crossover here, I was reading it on ebook. I didn't get the cool kit, obviously, with the ebook. There are no sticker apostrophes with an ebook. And the other thing I was thinking about when I was reading it is, that, is I also like audio books because they can come in quite handy yeah. when I'm on my bike, cycling to work, and things like that. Um, this wouldn't work very well, I don't think, as an audio book. Uh, uh, you wouldn't. I don't think you would necessarily. When she's going on about all the different apostrophes and putting them in the place. Although there are various breathing races, you, you can't hear an apostrophe. Uh, well, so, I don't. I don't know. Is is that the the, the point of it? But I suppose it's, it's in not, the written you, form. Yeah, exactly. You need this book is something that you actually have to read in the written format, as she says at the end, because it's about punctuation and punctuation. Although it gives us the pauses and the spaces and the politeness to know when and where, it's actually a written. Thing. And towards the end of the book, what caught me out, I'm reading it on an e-book, and I'd forgotten, because I read this book uh, probably for the first time about four or five years ago in real format, and I'd forgotten towards the end where she goes on about um, how people keep saying the book is a dying art form and about um, electronic formats and reading on the internet and stuff like that. And I, I do admit, reading it on the e-book, I did feel rather guilty at that moment. And then I thought, well, it is an e-book. Because she does go on, you can't, scribble in the, you can't scribble in the margins of the book for it to be passed on to generations. And she's quite right, actually. You can't scribble in it. And, it won't, and even if they're modern e-books, you can make notes. Obviously, they'll sort of end up passing away with you or with the electronic doodad when it dies. So I think that's, that's quite an interesting thing there. But the thing that, that most stood out is you can tell this book was originally written in 2003, as I may yeah. mention 
earlier when we were talking you can tell it's written in 2003 because she does say about she, she's she's almost kind of like oh ebooks aren't going to rise well i don't think actually ebooks were really dinging her dinging her her bell at the time um because now um what is it eight percent of the population are going out and buying ebook readers and those are statistics currently it's a eight to ten percent of the population are going out and buying ebook readers the rise of the ebook is much bigger however the one thing i would say is is obviously punctuation still counts in ebooks yeah, yeah, certainly. But she is quite right when she says punctuation doesn't seem to count for much on Wiki... Well, she doesn't mention... Are we allowed to mention brand names? Is Wikipedia a brand name uh, Other wiki sites are available. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, there we go. Then we have, then we have covered ourselves there, yeah. We should set up our own wiki site for the uh, book of the, uh, the month scenario, really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah certainly. And she's quite scathing as well about self-publication. And part of the room... We're, we're here in the reading room um, discussing literary matters, and yet some of the people that you will have been talking to and are going to talk to are people that are having to go a self-published route yeah so it's quite interesting thinking about those kind of things which she deals with towards the end of the book yeah yeah it'd be much much easier to publish yourself on an ebook what are your thoughts on the on the ebook generation alex Obviously, it saves the trees, so that's got to be a good thing, hasn't it, really? You, <laughs> yes. know, you don't have those uh, leaves falling to actually be made in book form. Well, you um, don't get the feel, do you, Alex? You don't get the feel of a... I have yet to actually read a full book on an e-book reader, Kindle or otherwise. Yeah. Uh, I'm not ruling it out in the not-too-distant future, but at the same time, there is something about having a tangible text... There we are. Raving in front of yeah. the microphone now. <laughs> um, which you can actually work through and really enjoy for it from that perspective and, and put your bookmarks in and know where you're coming through. And yes, her notion of what are we handing on to generations... I'm not too sure when she uh, talks about um, coming across this little bit of graffiti in a library text that uh, had been uh, a note that had been made. Well, you know, there are lots of other notes that can be made in library books which possibly you wouldn't want to hand on to future generations. Um, But I did think that, yes, there needs to be a kind of symbiotic relationship between the hard copy book and the e-book. I mean, for a long time, um, people who got books downloaded, they would print out the the book on paper so they'd have a kind of paper record and obviously there is still that feasibility as opposed to actually reading it on your mobile or portable device or or, or so on. Having said all of that, in terms of self-publishing, it's a whole new kettle of um, worms to be opened if he, <laughs> if he wants to mix metaphors and various other things there. Um, purely and simply because uh, I was talking to the author Cassio Zumba, who uh, was very scathing about uh, uh, non-peer-assessed work because there isn't a quality assurance level that's actually there. Just as we talked about Wikipedia and the, the, the line from that point of view, one of the problems, one of the challenges with that is, yes, you can get an awful, awful lot of good material going on there, but equally a lot of it isn't actually checked through. And part, I think, of uh, Lynn Dress's argument is that you need to at least have somebody who, a bit like the show really, will act as a, a producer, a um, gatekeeper perhaps, certainly somebody who can at least put a different perspective onto those kind of things. Because sometimes it can be quite difficult when you're at the heart of producing some text to actually say, actually, this is rubbish. Or you can actually say, it's rubbish and be wrong about that. You yeah. can actually you know, go too far down the, uh, the self-critical route. Um, there are one or two Mozarts around in our existence who could actually just produce a fantastic sonata like that, but most of us tend to sort of wander through the Salieri route, and we need to actually just uh, find out a little bit more about how we're working, how we're developing, and, and, and so on. So, uh, interesting stuff. Although, ultimately, I think you know, a book like Eats, Shoots, and Leaves um, needs to come from the heart, and I think that's what has certainly come across from, from Lynn Truss. Interesting enough, on uh, uh, the web there are lots of photos of Lynn uh, armed with her punctuation repair kit, actually uh, you know, changing signs, adjusting it. Obviously, she's still got the passion for doing that, yeah. and her involvement with BBC Radio 4 has not impacted on that whatsoever, which yeah. is good to hear. Certainly. Now, just a very quick word, Alex, about the, uh, the Middlesbrough uh, Book Festival, which I believe you're involved with. Yes, it's uh, almost halfway through now. I was talking about Katia Zumba. She, he was one of our uh, opening uh, acts, uh, we also had Sarah Waters, who uh, produced a whole range of things from Tipping the Velvet onwards. She produced a sellout uh, production recently. Uh, unlike the Lincoln Book Festival, which obviously we work very closely with, yeah. uh, Lincoln tends to be more or less impacted over a five or six day period with a couple of pre events that kind of uh, launch the thing, like, of course, the now legendary Sarah Bullimore Alex Leftchuk uh, literary quiz that we actually have at the Dog and Bone pub <laughs> to launch the whole thing, to know our Dickens from our Dostoevsky. Those pubs um, are available. Precisely, precisely. <laughs> uh, but not other literary pubs. 
clubs, you see. So from that point of view, I have to make that point. You know, that okay. is a USP from, from that perspective. I stand corrected. Indeed, or even sit corrected. Let's be precise, Paul, for goodness <laughs> sakes. <laughs> just talking about precision here. Now you're a stickler, Alex. Exactly. Uh, so the uh, Middlesbrough Book Festival, which you can access actually through uh, middlesbrough.gov.uk forward slash litfest or litfest2010, or you mentioned it earlier, going directly to southsidebroadcasting.com and uh, click on the, uh, the sign there, which talks about the Middlesbrough Book Festival. That addresses all that. Lots of happy things coming through, including authors who've been at the Lincoln Book Festival, such as Tim Moulton, and indeed the wonderful Stephen Michat, and Michelle Monroe, of course, who uh, is also uh, joining us later. So heaps of good stuff there as we celebrate the wonderful magic that is the printed word. Superb. Well, thank you both very much for coming down and speaking to us here on our very first reading room, our very first uh, review panel. You're listening to The Reading Room on Siren 107.3 FM. Joining us now is Amy Wilkinson, a writer and spoken word artist who is also part of a writing and spoken word collective called Hello Hub Marine, based in Derby, uh, which aims to promote writing in all its different forms uh, through the platform of literature events, workshops and quality publications. Uh, good morning, Amy. Hello there. All right, and uh, welcome to Lincoln and certainly welcome to Siren FM. Is this your Thank first you. time to Lincoln? No, it's not. No, I'm actually from uh, Boston, so I'm quite familiar with oh, Lincoln. Right. OK, so we're a yellow belly. Yeah. Right. Well. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, you're more than welcome. Um, so if you could tell us a bit, really, about uh, Hello Hub Marine and uh, how it came about. Yes, certainly. Um, Hello Hub Marine is a collective of writers, musicians, artists, literature lovers, activists, and we're all hell-bent and brought together by uh, a need to create a better world through writing and words and through a love of literature. Uh, we do this by promoting uh, literature in all its different kinds of, of forms uh, through quality workshops, publications and regular live events uh, obviously we're based in Derby yeah. so we regularly put on uh, live literature events in Derby as well and we've also toured around the region uh, we place particular emphasis on raising the profile of and promoting literature for young people and people that might not necessarily uh, be involved with writing too much as well because we've all got a, a great love for it and uh, it's it's great to bring that to other people as well. Oh, I see. So what what example could you give us of uh, of how you take it to young people? Oh, well, the um, some of the Hello Hub members have uh, done writing workshops in a summer school I see. Uh, as well and... Uh, on creative writing and yeah. so and that went down very well as Excellent. well. So yeah. Very good. Right. And uh yeah, it started uh basically there used to be a night in Derby called Rhythm and Blue, which was a night that was sort of a mixture of literature and live music. And that for various reasons disbanded and three writers got together, um Emma Lanny, Nathan Good and Richard Birkin and they they love writing and creating things, so they started publishing their own work uh, under the name of Time Travelers Opportunists. And I've actually brought in a couple of chapbooks in here for for yeah. you to have a look at. And yeah, and they are they are great. They're very. Uh, let's describe this on the radio. They're very yeah. uh, very textile, aren't they? They're uh, very they're, palpable. Know. Yeah. Pa- oh, what a wonderful <laughs> word! Thank you very much. It was worth coming along this morning just to hear that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly just just the feel of the books is uh, the word quality. Yes. Uh, uh, out really springs out to mind and uh, what's this in the envelope there well you've got the time chat book there and they uh, they gave out this little envelope with this one uh, minute uh, ticket okay shall I read this out this ticket uh, grants the bearer a single free minute to be used in the pursuit of happiness Uh, please document this minute and send a report to and then it gives a email address how fantastic yes and and they'll give you a badge as well oh yeah it's just a great a, a, a real lovely object to have and to launch these wonderful chat books they they did a night they did um, events which were very similar to the rhythm and blue but with their own take on it they sort of evolved and they did uh, live spoken word and readings from this and they and as these nights evolved other people got more interested and involved and uh, that's where hello Hub marine came from and my involvement came uh, about because Time Traveller, Time Travellers Opportunists, um, did a call out asking for submissions for work to be published, and my story got picked and published in their chat book home, and I was able to perform live, and then that's how I got more involved as well with Hello Hub Marine, and that's 
part of the beauty of Hello Hub Marine is it's a very open collective and it looks to support and promote all writing and writers out there and it's incredibly welcoming and friendly as well and it's been a great vehicle for us all to channel our passion for writing. I see. So how would you say it was different to a a writer's circle, for example? That's a a very good question. I've been involved in several writing uh, writer's circles before and I found my personal experience of them has been just a small group and it's been very um, where you just pass around your work with each other, you feedback it and then you're able to grow through each other's learning uh, of your uh, and reading of your work and yeah. it can be very supportive. However, uh, Hello Hub Marines are much more actively involved in the community. It's more about promoting all different types of writing and creating a platform for other writers to, to perform or publish their work as well. And and that's one of the elements of the Hello Hub Marine Nights uh, events that we put on. Is, um, and it's very important for our ethos is to have a substantial open mic slot where anyone can come along and perform their work in a friendly and inclusive environment as well and, and that opens opens it up for more people to get involved in the group great stuff and uh, so your live performances uh, how do you how do you feel about those I am getting better I used to get really super nervous um, <laughs> ages beforehand but gradually as I'm getting more and more experience the, the nerves are disbanding and uh, I really enjoy it actually yeah, it's yeah. quite it's quite an accepting crowd isn't it yes very uh, generally open minded I, I find definitely uh, I mean I've only done one now but I was certainly very very nervous beforehand but uh, afterwards you, you wonder it's a bit like the best man speech I think you know they're kind of on your side aren't they yeah definitely people want to support and and see you succeed as well so and it's a great way of promoting your own work as well so it's very important i think the reading room on siren 107.3 fm Uh, i'm going to do a reading of my uh, short story first kiss i've been staring at him for three minutes now his flawless body silhouetted by the swimming pool clock which glows with reflected light like the full moon If I squint my eyes, I can see every detail. The faint indentation left by his socks, the soft hairs on his arms and legs, even the frayed embroidery around his gold lifeguard badge. As the second hand rotates through Roman numerals, I've been talking to him, sending secret messages to entice him to look my way once. Just once. Once is all I need. Suddenly conscious of their coquettish giggles, I pushed myself back from the other girls, aware that they could tarnish me by association. In the water, my body feels lithe and elastic, and I kick my legs in the air to exhibit my superior thighs, my supple skin. Here in the pool, I possess an elegance that usually eludes me. My bulbous body often blunders, but the water hides vulgarity. Here I'm invincible, I'm powerful and strong. Here, I'm a mermaid. I flip on my back, hold my breath and let my body float on the surface. Underwater the world sounds different and the girl's laughter transmutes into the whispers of forgotten ghosts. The cool line separating the stale air with the pool laps at my cheeks and tickles my skin. The memory of my classmates' recent taunts drift away. I dismiss words like fat and frigid, and here, in the calm, I finally find the resolve to prove them wrong. I'll make him notice me. They'll see. I exhale. My legs fall, then my torso, my arms, my shoulders. I tip my head back as my body falls, and I push out every last molecule of breath. My neck, my chin, now my whole face is submerged. I flail my hands to the surface. Chlorine stings my eyes, my mouth fills with the water and my lungs begin to scream. The pressure of a hundred hands pushes at my chest, strangles my throat. My limbs whirl widely and create a maelstrom of panic, but I don't come up for air. I can't. I slip and scrape my elbow against the bottom of the pool. A cloud of dirty red mixes with the clear water. I close my eyes. His hands are on me. I feel his body press against my back as his arms wrap around me in a hug. 
I rest my head against the dip in his shoulder, and he pulls us up. Sounds erupt as we surface, and light flitters through my lids, but I keep my eyes closed. A shock of electricity shoots through my veins and settles in my groin as he moves his hands round under my armpits and pulls up, us up onto the side. My head bangs onto the tiles, but I don't move. I hear people running, shouts of alarm and concern, but he is next to me, a shadow in the red light of my vision. He leans down. He brushes some hair from my face, and our mouths connect together. Once is all I need. You're listening to the Reading Room on Siren 107.3 FM. On this edition of uh, of the Reading Room, we've been talking about uh, favourite books, getting people to text and email in. Have you got a favourite book? I certainly do. Uh, it would have to be, without shadow of doubt, uh, The Unbearable Lightness of Being oh, by right. Mel and Kundera. It's um. It's got a real strong metafictional authorial voice which permeates through uh, his novel and it flows very easily through very deep philosophical questions and um and it's not a dense read it's very it's it's a really easy to read novel as well good so, yeah. <laughs> good yeah yeah i think you'd, you'd need it to, uh, okay. to be easy to read with the uh, the deep uh, the depth of that certainly yes, uh, so as a writer can you lose yourself in a book you know so Without studying the technical side too much, or are you always looking at, uh, uh, at the style of a, of a writer? I'm always looking. I, can't, I don't think you can uh, let it go if you are a writer and, and you've been... I did a degree in creative writing, so in a way I've been kind of tweaked or trained. Yeah. Um, and I, I will always analyse what I'm reading and um, look at technique style and authorial voice and I'll also after I finish a novel or, or a good short story I'll write a personal review just for myself of what worked and didn't work in the text what I could learn as well I think in writing um, anything you write will always have um, a touch of what you've everything you've already read and everything you've already experienced I think it all comes through in the writing process as well I see. so uh, I can't switch off <laughs> okay <laughs> never mind never mind it's not a bad thing for not to be able to switch off from now, earlier on in the programme, uh, I reviewed Juliet Naked, which I, uh, I did with my hammers and spanners. Um, you've read it, haven't you? What, what did you think to it? Well, I, I actually enjoyed it. I've been reading a lot of short stories recently, so it's the first novel I've picked up in a long time. Yeah. And I wanted a novel that I could immerse myself in, and yet would still be literary enough that I felt like I was learning something from the experience, and I wasn't disappointed in that. Um, however, it, there was... And he's he's great at writing women, and I really connected with one of the lead characters, Annie, as well. Um, but he did have a tendency to explain himself a lot, yeah. um, and I did notice that. And another thing I noticed uh, was some of the characters had the same sort of thoughts or the same sort of metaphors, and it was repeated again, and you would think that the characters wouldn't have that same way of looking at things. So. Yeah, yeah, for me it was one metaphor too many, I'm afraid. Yes, yeah. I can understand. Uh, but, you know, again, I think he's such a great writer, great writer, sorry, and, uh, yeah, we will be looking out for uh, for his next one. I'll certainly be getting that. Definitely. Uh, okay, so if you've, you've got some uh, a Facebook address and also website details, yes, uh, if, we, do, if we can contact yes. you on, what are those, please? Well, it's uh, the Twitter address is just... Hello, Hub Marine, all one word. And um, Hub Marine is uh, spelt H-U-B-M-A-R-I-N-E. And then there's also a Facebook group, which uh, you can find us by just searching Hello, Hub Marine, and that's a two-worded search. And you'll be able to then keep up to date with uh, our current events. And we're going to have a website launched very soon, which is very exciting, which will have all of the different events of, of literature and music in the region as well, and how to get involved. And it'll be more of a hub of creativity so that's is exciting times for us great stuff and also of course you'll be able to hear all about hello hub marine here on the reading room uh, the great stuff thanks ever so much for coming down this thank morning you very Amy. Much. thank it's you been great hi it's me again just a reminder to tune into the next edition of the reading room which is on sunday the 1st of august between 10 a.m and 12 noon and you can listen online at www.sirenonline.co.uk